Thank you for checking out the Trojan Talk podcast. Great to have you back. Great to be back. Great to have the season back. It is officially game week for the USC Trojans. The first game of the Lincoln Riley era on Saturday in the Coliseum versus Rice. I feel like we've been building up to this pretty much since December. There's been more anticipation, more just looking ahead to this moment than I can recall in my five years covering the team now. I'm Ryan Young, publisher of Trojansports.com and your host for this podcast. And we have a great football discussion today with Antonio Morales of The Athletic. Antonio covers USC. He's been on the beat the same amount of time as I have. A good friend of mine, definitely one of the best reporters covering the Trojans and a recurring guest on this podcast. You've heard him several times, and it's always a great discussion. We have a pretty good rapport back and forth because we're pretty much always talking USC football, opinions, throwing text around. So we kind of know what each other thinks, but also have fun debating and disagreeing at times too. So that's our show today. It's, it's a long segment with Antonio. We basically just kind of give our takeaways from fall camp. We play a game called what I know and what I think. And we just threw out things that we think we might have learned or that we were pretty sure we learned from camp. Because again, reporters weren't allowed to see anything meaningful this preseason. We were able to watch 15 to 20 minutes of practice twice or three times a week, which is just stretching and individual drills, you know, quarterbacks throwing routes on there, the receivers, DBs working with Dante Williams, et cetera, et cetera. So no live team periods, very minimal, truly significant moments to digest and dissect. But, you know, you, you learn a lot from talking to coaches and players. You get a sense for some things as you go along, and we cover all that. It was a really fun discussion with Antonio. We're still hammering out details for our weekly early week podcast, whether it's Monday or Tuesday, who all is involved, probably some people you're used to hearing on it. Uh, giving some good analysis and breaking down the opponents. So we'll have all those details coming soon on our Trojan Talk message board. And you'll certainly just hear it next podcast next week as we break down the Rice game and look ahead to Stanford. And moving forward, we will spend a good chunk of the podcast on Mondays or Tuesdays, whatever day it is, breaking down the opponent and the matchup. But with USC playing... Rice uh, out of the Conference USA, which is, was 4-8 and eight last year and uh, is just probably an overmatched team, you would think, entering this matchup. We didn't spend a lot of time dwelling on that side of things. But if you go to Trojansports.com, we have a full opponent breakdown by our own Tajwar Kanakar, who is back in the fold with us. He's been with, with me all five years, and he did a great job breaking down the Rice Owls. So you can get all that information there. But this podcast will be all USC football and breaking down fall camp. I don't see any reason to keep blabbering on myself. Let's bring in our guest. Okay, let's get right into the show. As promised, rejoining the podcast, Antonio Morales of The Athletic. Antonio, how are you? Good. Just uh, after these nine months or so, and dealing with uh, some of the drama over the past nine months, whether it's transfers, the Lincoln Riley hire, and realignment, all that stuff. Just, just ready for the game to start now. How about the drama over the last four and a half years? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Been a lot to go through. Yes, definitely ready for game week, ready to try and put expectations to reality, see what happens. And that's kind of where we're going to start here. We, I could say that we watched camp the last month, but we really didn't. We watched 15 or 20 minutes of stretching and individual periods twice or three times a week. Saw no actual live team periods. And all we can really do is extrapolate what we saw at the very start of practice and or parse comments from coaches and players. And so we're going to start with a segment that I think is apropos to that situation. Things we think and things we know. And I think we'll just go back and forth and trade off and and feel free to counter what I throw out there, as you often do, and uh, vice versa. Sound good? Sounds good. Okay. 
I will kick us off with a things we know. Relik Brown will have a role on this offense, a notable role on this offense. Do you agree? I agree. Just the way the veterans are talking about him on this team, like Tuli or Shane Lee or Travis Dye, who showered Blake Brown with a lot of praise last week. I think that's what impressed me the most. I think this is my fifth training camp covering SC now, and I don't think I've heard a group of veterans talk about a freshman like this before. And there's been some good freshmen. Uh, Drake London was really good. His uh, training camp and Keaton Slovis was really good during spring and training camp. Um, so, uh, you know, those those guys didn't get this kind of praise that you're seeing from that you're seeing from the veterans towards the league and the, the coaching staff have kind of tempered it down a little bit. They haven't gone to the lengths that some of the team's players have, uh, but I do agree he's going to have some sort of role and um, he's too dynamic of a player not to get some touches. After the first scrimmage of camp, we talked to uh, Tuli, Tui Pelotu and Shane Lee, separate conversations. They didn't hear each other. And they were both asked, did anyone on the other side impress you? And both of them, their first answer was Relique Brown. And then, of course, last week we had Travis Dye, the veteran running back, bestowing all kinds of praise and hype on the freshmen. So, yeah, it's hard to see any other outcome but the five-star being used. And I, and I always felt that way just from knowing what his skill set is. And he's been a Lincoln-Riley guy for a long time, was committed to Oklahoma They've had a strong relationship. I'm sure that Lincoln's been thinking for two years of ways to deploy this uh, diminutive yet uh, deceptive and incredibly fast weapon in his offense. But the question is, how exactly do you think he's used? We asked the coaches before camp, and is he a receiver? Is he a, is he a running back? And they were both uh, all pretty guarded on that, keep, keeping those state secrets uh, close to the vest. I think uh, it might be some running back. I, that's, what I, that's what I tend to think, just because uh, I, I feel like uh, th- this may be reading too much into the situation, but uh, those Guardian helmets, the receivers don't wear them. And, oh. uh, and Relique was wearing his a lot during camp. So I wonder if you know, that's a little hint one way or another what he'll play. That is a great point, and that's why we bring you on this podcast, because I didn't even think about that. So for those that don't know, if, if you've seen the pictures we post from camp, a bunch of players have this big red padded thing on top of their helmet. People think it's for concussions and stuff. It's not. It's it's anyone who's going to be close to the quarterback has to wear one so that if he, he follows through, his hand doesn't hit a helmet and break his hand or finger. Uh, so, yes, Relique has been wearing one of those things. That is a great point. But whenever we talk to Kyle McDonald about him, the first thing he always praises is his pass catching. So I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm just excited to see Relique on this team. To be honest with you, I remember uh, standing with you at uh, the opening last summer yes. in Manhattan Beach, and we we're just saying like USC could really use a, a player like Relique Brown, but we're not confident like that previous staff would know how to use them best. Um, so. Very true. Uh, now it's Lincoln Riley at USC, so I'm, I'm much more confident in how he'll be utilized uh, under this regime. You mean the staff that thought uh, Taj Washington was the best uh, downfield jump ball threat? Uh, I mean, they didn't have a ton of other options last year, but yeah, that's Steph. I mean, yeah, I've, I've told our subscribers many times that watching Relique in camp settings was unlike anything, really, until I saw Zachariah Branch this last seven-on-seven circuit in in the camp circuit. But at that opening and then at the All-American Bowl in San Antonio in January, he just never lost a one-on-one rep. He just – nobody could stay with him downfield. And, yes, game game is different. There's a lot of different circumstances that go into it. But, you know, skills are skills. Okay, Antonio, would you like to throw out a thing we think or a thing we know? Uh, I'll throw out a thing we think, just because we haven't seen, you know, any live action. But I, I think I'm more confident about Eric Gentry grabbing a starting spot, you know, within the first couple of weeks of the season, potentially even week one, 
than I was going into camp. I think that going into camp, I'm like this Eric Gentry got here in June or May. Um, Raylan Goforth has been starting for two years now. And like, it's going to take a few weeks, maybe week four or five before he enters the starting lineup. Um, but I just think the momentum with that interception he got in that scrimmage and seeing some of the goal line stuff as they're doing and him working with Shane Lee, I just think he's going to end up starting sooner than I thought. I always thought he was going to be a part of the rotation. He was going to play a lot. Um, but it seems like he generated some momentum over the second half of camp. So I think he's going to start sooner than, than I predicted. I had him on my list too. I had them as a, as a thing I – I think, but it was it was that they're going to rotate at that spot, only because we have heard nothing but praise for Eric Gentry, and and I don't mean this as a knock, but just we really haven't talked about Raylan Goforth much this camp, and maybe that means nothing at all. But and and, and this is where I I run into a dilemma of of what to read into. The one thing that we see that seems significant at all relating to depth chart is the start of practice when the defense practices running from the sideline, getting lined up, and then running off the field. And they do it in three separate units, and one might be inclined to presume that those are uh, structured units you know, that relates to first team, second team, third team. And Raylan Goforth has always been in that first team unit, except for the day that Shane Lee was out and then, uh, and then Gentry was in there with him. So that's given me a little pause on that, but I totally believe the Gentry hype train – I had someone tell me uh, way back before camp started when I was just trying to find out a little bit more about these guys and how much I should expect from these transfers. And I had someone tell me that inside the building, they think Eric Gentry could be a first-round draft pick down the road. So the belief is certainly there. Um, I think Goforth still has a role, but we'll see. Yeah, I think it'll slowly probably diminish as the season goes on or decrease. Um, yeah, I think he'll certainly have a role in the beginning of the season. I think uh, the fact Brian Odom talked about how valuable first-team reps are, then that same availability he was talking about how they're force-feeding edge entry reps just kind of verifies or solidifies the fact that he's he's going to have a pretty large role here early on. And just the way they've been impressed with how he's digested this defense and consumed the scheme and everything has me thinking uh, he's going to play a lot early on. We talked to Eric Gentry last week for the first time, and it was a very interesting interview. He, you got the sense that he had not been looking forward to his first interview with us, and he, he was a little shy. He, he kind of looked down to the ground most of the interview, and yet he spoke very confidently and assuredly. And I just, I think I learned a lot about him in that. And one of the things is that he just. He kind of has that Michael Jordan characteristic of finding slights or finding reasons to have a chip on his shoulder. And even when I asked him an innocuous question just about how he decided that inside linebacker was the right spot for him, because at 6'6", he's really unique in that position, and it was not meant to second-guess at all. I just was curious about the origin, and he kind of got defensive about it, and he's like, I have a lot of confidence in myself there. I don't care what the outside world thinks. I'm like, yeah, okay, okay, all right, we're good. I was going to ask you if you, if you felt like, because just from watching him, I just felt like there was some sort of, like, anger there. Yes. <laughs> um, during his interview. Um, I just wanted to see if you sensed that as well. I, I, think, I think I instigated it. I think I pull it right out of him. So I, I have that skill set sometimes. <laughs> uh, definitely. I'll go with a thing we know. This team is going to score a lot of points. I just think there's no doubt about that. There's plenty of questions overall. Uh, I know you're going to tell the listeners that I'm the most optimistic person in the media crew and that my uh, expectations should be tempered. But when it comes to this offense, I just look around the field at all these positions and I cannot see how it does not add up to one of the best offenses in the country. I'm not going to state this unequivocally, but I think it's absolutely in play for this to be a top 10 national offense. And to give some perspective on that, the numbers last year nationally, that would mean at least 38.4 points and 468 and a half yards per game. I think that is very reachable for this team. I'm not going to say it's definitely going to happen, but it's in range. 
Antonio, counter my optimism. I, I think the only thing it would hinge on, but the only thing that would make me, that prevent me from saying that was if an offensive line injury or two comes. But I, I agree. I don't, I don't want to overthink what their offense is going to be. They have Caleb Williams, they have Jordan Addison, they have Travis Dye, and a lot of other players besides that. They're going to score a lot of points. Um, uh, I, was, I think people tend to overthink, like, who, who's in the box? The line was fine last year. It's, it's going to struggle against some of the better teams on the schedule, like a Utah or Notre Dame. But against most of the teams they're going to play, they're going to be fine. And uh, if they're healthy there, then I don't think there's any reason why uh, this offense shouldn't be really prolific. I think there's less questions about the line than in any of the seasons I've covered this team. This is my fifth year, and this is the least doubt that I've sensed or personally felt about the offensive line. Yeah, I think Corlin Ford and Jonah Monheim, last year they had their growing pains. They had their their bumps in the road as retro freshmen. Um, so you're kind of hoping that, uh, if, if you're USC, you're kind of hoping that they've gotten past those now and um, maybe Bobby Haskins could come in and allow someone like Jonah Monheim to move to a more natural guard spot, and that'll help things. So, you know, we'll see how that goes. I think, um, like you said, I feel like this is the most optimism people have had about the line in, in years. And that's even when they had two first-round draft picks. I don't think people are as, or as optimistic about the line as they are right now. I think we're going to get more into the line coming up here. If I if I know my list, but it's your turn to throw us out one. Shoot. Okay. I'll go with things we know, and I'll go with this defense lines too thin for them to go through the schedule with you know one loss. Um, so uh, I just think there's only like five or six guys, like Riley said, they're gonna play along the interior of the defense line, and I think they're gonna be counting on a lot of question marks. And uh, two to two below two is great, but and you're, you're counting on Brandon Peely, and they've been counting on Brandon Peely for four or five years now. <laughs> we'll see if Sean Nua uh, can get this out of them, uh, get this out of Peely, that production, that cons- that consistency. But you're counting on a lot of guys who, you know, Nick Figueroa, who's hasn't stayed healthy the past couple of years, uh, Dijon Benton, who we haven't seen a lot of the previous three years. So I know, you know, there's some people, I, I think this team could still has the potential to win uh, a Pac-12 title. And I know some of the more optimistic fans are thinking, oh, 11 and one or something like that. But I just think the Stevens line's way too thin and nothing during training camp has kind of swayed my mind from, you know, that, that observation. And that's why I predicted 10 and two. And not eleven and one. Almost there. Now, building off your point, I had this in pretty much all three of the categories we're going to cover today. Let me go back to the point I made earlier about that drill at the start of practice. Uh, how much do you put into that as a reflection of where things stand with the depth chart? I, I don't know if they'll be the starters, but I think obviously, I think the, the guys we see in the first two groups are going to be the rotation. So someone like Dijon Benton, even if he's not a starter, you know, I think he's gonna he's gonna be a, a, a integral part of this rotation. Yeah. So the last week or two, probably two weeks now, we've seen Dijon Benton with the first unit with Tuli Tuipolotu and Stanley Taufuu. Um, you know what? I I owe it to Stanley this year just to ask him how his name is pronounced, so that on this podcast I don't butcher it every time. But that's the best I can do for right now. But they've been the first unit, and surprisingly, Nick Figueroa, a presumed starter, a a third-year starter in, in some respects, and Brandon Peely, a guy that everyone thought was the missing piece uh, up front, have been with the second unit this, this whole time pretty much. And so it's been one of the most interesting and curious things, and we don't have any clarity on it. It's very possible to come out the first game and, and Figueroa's starting. Uh, who knows? But... Uh, Dijon Benton, though, you're right. Whether he starts or not, he's going to be a role player, at least, in that rotation. And he's a guy that's been here, this is his fourth year, and he has not ever really had a notable role. So he's like the biggest camp riser on the defense this year. Yeah, exactly. He, I think his freshman year in 2019, 
he was in the mix in the rotation in the defensive line during camp. And then he got hurt. And we, didn't, we didn't see him until this camp, really, again. And, uh, so he's got quite an interesting journey. But there's so many guys I feel like we haven't heard from this camp, like uh, Earl Barquette. It's been, it seems like it's been a kind of a quiet camp for Tyrone Fellini and some of these other guys. So, um, you know, they need depth there. That's going to be somewhere they're going to need to build upon um, in the subsequent, on the subsequent recruiting classes and in the transfer portal this offseason. No, it's it's a great point. I want to touch on Benton real fast. You mentioned the interesting path. If fans don't recall, he was a national signing day surprise in whatever year that was, 2019, I think. He was announced on signing day, and nobody knew that USC was even in the mix for him. It was all like we, we were scrambling to research, who is this guy, this three-star from uh, the Oakland area? And he has looked good in practice over the years, but just never had, had a role. And he's a little smaller than some of the other guys. I'm not He's not small, but um, we've heard a lot about – Shorter. Shorter, yeah. We've heard a lot about Alex Grinch you know, preferring speed and quickness over size up at those spots. So that could be a part of it. Uh, Sean Newis said he's a perfect fit for this defense, which kind of goes along with that. So very interesting guy to watch. But to your point about depth, they tried to address the depth by bringing in three transfers, uh, three at least three. I'm probably forgetting one now. And I don't know if any of them are a surefire bet to contribute. Tyrone Teleni, who I thought was going to be the rawest of all, given that he barely played at Kansas State and has only been playing football for a few years, has been in that second grouping at that drill at the start of practice. But Earl Barquette has not. Uh, Solomon Bird, who I had expectations for, has not really been uh, near that first group or second group. He's been with uh, both rush end and DN, but normally with the third unit. Is there anybody else that came in I'm, I'm just totally blanking on now? No, those are the transfers, and you know, we haven't heard much from Jamar Sacona or Kobe Pepe, some of the guys who returned. Yeah. Um, so I just think um, those five or six guys are what they're going to roll with. Yeah, and, and going back to Brandon Peely, I mean, he is a really interesting one. He's played a lot of football. He himself said in the spring he's never had the role he wanted and that this was kind of the year that he was expecting to assert himself in that way. He's going to be – he's going to play. He's going to be a rotation guy, and he's the only guy like himself – in that mix with that kind of size that is seems like, like a true prototypical nose tackle been, uh, i've never been the biggest peely believer but I'm, i do have to give him credit he is slimmed down i think noticeably this year i, I think he, his carrying his weight better um this camp so you know maybe that'll help him stay on the field um a bit more yeah he's, he's a major wild card and i'm gonna build off that with my next one i'll go with a things we know. I'm going to put some definitive oomph behind this. I think at this point, we can reasonably conclude that the defense has a ways to go. This defensive rebuild is not going to be an automatic overnight sensation. And I say that based on Alex Grinch's refreshing candidness and frankness in assessing his unit. And maybe we'll find out he's been sandbagging us the whole time and they're, they're better than he's let on. But, but he's been pretty brutally honest and um, just acknowledging that, that they're, not, they're not quite there. Uh, he, he's still not seeing everyone give the effort he expects every day. Uh, the tackling still a work in progress. This, that, and the other thing. Uh, I think from what we've heard, I have no reason to think that they are going to morph overnight. But they don't have to. If the offense is as good as I expect and stated, then – any defensive improvement will probably equate to a lot more wins than last year. Uh, last year was the worst defense statistically in program history. It's going to get better. How much better, we don't know. But I'm going to confidently say this will not be a, a top national defense. <laughs> I think USC, last year's defense was obviously historically bad, like worst in school history almost. Or if you go by the, the points per game, then it is the worst. They just need this defense to be like a normal bad and that yeah. historically bad. And they'll win nine or ten games um, because if the offense does what it's supposed to. Um, so, uh, like you said, 
I don't think this defense will work wonders this year or anything, but I think not a ton is really going to be required of them, especially early in the season. Um, during the, the middle of the year, the back half of the year, when they play Notre Dame and UCLA and they have that game at Utah in October, yeah, then it'll be an issue. Um, but the first, they'll have some time to gel and try to figure things out some more. And, and there is a reason to put stock in maybe the comments from both Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch about the way they intend to practice during game weeks during the season. They are both very emphatic that they don't ease off the pedal at all during game week. Certainly, it's you know words are words and, and everything, but I think that there was a criticism uh, to that end in recent years, and I know that I've said it plenty of times that we would – get to watch practice last year and then come off and talk to the coaches and be told, man, those guys were flying around today, huh? And and, we, and I was like, were they now? Because I, I missed that part. So maybe there's reason to be optimistic that it will keep improving as the season goes along. Yeah, I remember somebody last year came up to me after the UCLA, well, like I think Tuesday practice for UCLA, and they're like, wow, I was like, that practice, like, had some of the least amount of juice I've ever seen, like, <laughs> in a college practice. And that's just kind of the, the way the vibes were throughout the Clay Hilton era. It's not like that. It's not like the practice, you know, intensity changed when Clay got fired. I mean, it was rough. Um, and that was kind of how it was throughout that tenure. It was very boring, not a lot of energy, to be honest. And, um, you know, we don't get to see what these practices are like now. But, um who knows, maybe they're different, maybe they're more intense, and we'll see what that leads to. We will. Antonio, it's your turn. Uh, I'm debating on whether this is an I think or I know. I'll go with an I know. I, I know that Sierra Wright will be starting at corner, uh, the second corner spot, uh, just based off of everybody that's been out during camp and the way Sierra's progressed and the way he's gotten praise from Lincoln Riley. I feel confident in saying he's going to start at that second corner spot. Yeah, I had as, as the things we think, but there's no reason not to elevate it because there's been no other obvious candidate to supplant him. And it's been, again, one of the biggest surprises of camp in that Sierra was a highly talented prospect who came in last year and looked very raw. He just looked very far away from contributing. And then, you know, probably unfairly, there were questions about how much does football matter to him? He has all this other stuff going on. I think Lincoln Riley put that to rest to a degree by saying, you know, he's improved so much from the spring. So clearly whatever else he's doing, he's, he's putting the time and, and, and the dedication on the field because he's, he's one of the most improved guys since the spring. And yeah, who's, who's challenging him? Damani Jackson's been out and is a freshman. Jacoby Covington got here, but really haven't seen him with the first team much. Prophet Brown is not – quite uh, matching him thus far. So it, it just seems like we know Makai Blackman's going to be the the surefire starter at one of those spots, and it sure seems like it's Sierra Wright's spot at the other side. I will say, though, as guys get healthy, and I think Lincoln Riley has lit on to this, that they will probably rotate there, and, and the, the evaluation will probably – continue into the season, once they have guys healthy, they're going to want to see Damani Jackson get reps in games. They're going to want to see maybe a Covington or a Josh Jackson when, he, when, he, when, he, when, he, when he's available, yeah. So, Sierra, I, I think, I agree, is the starter, but maybe not like a 70-snap-a-game starter. Yeah, I think it'll be cemented, never leaving the field guy. Um, I think he'll open the season to start, and then – I, I think that's going to be one of, like you said, it's going to be one of those work-in-progress positions where uh, as guys get healthier and uh, as guys continue to progress and Damani basically didn't have a spring and didn't have a training camp, really. So I mean, these first couple of weeks, whenever he does come back, are basically going to be his training camp and getting sped up and working out and everything. Um, he, he could be a guy who could probably progress towards the end of the season and maybe play a bit more. Yeah. Uh, I'll keep it in the secondary, and I'll go with a thing, a thing, I think. <clears throat> I think, at this point, there's maybe some clarity at safety, at least initially. And this is also not just what I've seen, but what I've heard, that we could see, we thought that Max Williams and Jalen Smith were going to compete at nickel. 
I think it's possible that they're both out there starting on game one with Max Williams at safety and Jalen Smith at nickel. And again, like cornerback, that's been a spot where guys haven't fully been healthy. Uh, Xavion Alford, who would have been you know, a, a top candidate for that spot, has been out for a while now. Bryson Shaw, the Ohio State transfer, has been out almost all of camp or most of camp. Uh, so that's another thinned spot. But that's my that's my guess or expectation as we see Max and Jalen both out there with the first team defense. That wouldn't surprise me at all. I think that the Clancy Brenner, yes, that team with the staff love Max Williams. They loved his football IQ. Uh, the next defense of staff loved his football IQ and they were big fans of him too. Yeah. So it doesn't surprise me he's going to find his way onto the field somewhere. I think he would have started at Nickel anyway. Um, if Alford was healthy. Yeah. Uh, but now that Alford's been hurt and um, Shaw's been kind of in and out of camp, I, I think it makes the most sense to put a high IQ guy back there at safety when you know, he has to deal with all that responsibility. And he can come up, and I know he's just not the most physically imposing presence, but Max isn't afraid to tackle. <laughs> so yeah, coming up and supporting the run won't be an issue for him either. So I think that's a. I think that's a move for the defensive staff to just get their best players on the field. Um, they, they know that Max and Jalen are really talented, so why just kind of stick to conventional wisdom and just say, hey, one has to stay behind the other. And I think that's, a, that's a, an encouraging move uh, for that staff to get them both on the field. Yeah, and if uh, fans are wondering, what about Latrell McCutcheon, who came in as a high-profile transfer from Oklahoma? Uh, the, the last we saw of him at the start of practice, he was kind of at the second team nickel spot. Now he's a guy that can play anywhere. Basically, what I've heard about him is you know super talented guy, very high ceiling. It just may not all be put together just yet. So we'll see what his role emerges through the season. I have three more. Do you have any more, Antonio? No, I think I'm tapped out. Well, I, I gave you no advance warning about this uh, game we were playing either, so that's totally fair. I'll roll through my three real fast, and we'll move on to the next segment. I'm going to go with a, a, a thing we think. Sh- linebacker Shane Lee will be a difference maker for this defense. And again, this is based on nothing that I've seen, because I haven't seen anything to base it on. But when the, when the, the talk is so effusive and consistent from players and coaches and Lincoln Riley – has you know just built him up into a Winston Churchill-like leader. I I have to think that there's some real uh, substance to all that uh, that praise. And given the state of that position in recent years, given his pedigree as a former top 50 national prospect who did play and finish second on the team in tackles at Alabama his freshman year, that I think he will be a difference maker there. Your thoughts? I want to see. After the first couple of months, first couple of weeks, what it's like, I'm still kind of hesitant. I want to see what what it's like when teams try to isolate them in the passing game, and uh, when they try to match them up with running backs and things like that. There's been plenty of guys who've been able to hit, you know, USC at the linebacker position. I want to see how he runs. They haven't had a lot of guys who can run and hit, um, so I want to see if he's able to do that. And you know. Fresno State's going to probably test um, other teams will as well. So I want to see, you know, Oregon State's going to test them uh, both in the running game and um, in the passing game just because Jonathan Smith's a creative of its mind. So I want to see how he reacts and how he handles that uh, when the time comes around before declaring any uh, difference makers. Well, if you listened, I said it's a thing I think, okay? So I didn't declare anything, okay? I just threw it out there. I know you think I put the foot on the gas too hard all the time, but I, I was I was easing through a yellow light there. No, it, it, those are fair questions. And the fact that he did have the freshman season he did at Alabama when he was thrust in there because of an injury, it kind of opened the spot for him, but he didn't have that role the next two years. Has always been the question about him, because we, we weren't there. We weren't watching his Alabama career play out. So you wonder, this guy had 80-plus tackles as a freshman, why didn't he play the next two years? Obviously, because there's so much talent in that program that it's easy to get usurped on the depth chart. But yeah, there's questions. But I'm just gonna I'm just gonna think that there is some degree of upgrade to be had with Shane Lee. Okay, two more. 
this is a thing that I know. I think I know. Yeah, we'll, we'll say that. Things I think I know that Romello Heights will eventually stop wearing a yellow jersey and be the primary rush end for this team. Uh, I agree with you. He, he did stop wearing the yellow con- uh, non-contact jersey at one point last week, and then it came back on, so I don't know what's going on there. Uh, but I do think whenever he is healthy, he will be the starter at rush end. Um, unless you think Julian Simon is going to hold, hold the spot down. Yeah, so that, that brings us to the next question. And, and just going back to the, to the spring, like Height was one of those guys that just wowed everybody and was one of the biggest impact guys from the spring who you projected out and said, this guy's going to be a factor this year. Transfer from Auburn. Didn't play a whole lot there. Played a little bit. But I, I think that he's going to be productive. And at this point, I think he's going to hold down a majority of those rush end snaps, which raises the question of what role we expect from Corey Foreman, and do you believe in Julian Simon's sudden emergence uh, the last couple of weeks of practice at Rush End? Will Solomon Bird resurface? That Solomon Bird was a guy who was productive at Wyoming, was a starter there, and came in, and I'll just tell you this, I, I'm talking to him, I know, he came in expecting to play a major role for USC and wanted to prove himself on a bit of a higher tier in college football. He didn't come in thinking he was going to be working with the third-team defense in practice. I don't know if that changes as the season goes, but what do you think of the overall rotation there? I think it's really Zen wants to get beyond Corey and, and Height. Uh, Julian Simon's so unproven. It, it feel like it was hard to get questions into Lincoln last week. That was one thing I wanted to ask him. Um, and, and Alex Grinch too. Um, I wanted to ask either of them, like, what do you make of the Julian rep, the Julian Simon reps? Just because he was buried on the depth chart last year, we didn't mm. see him too much. We, we barely saw him get practice reps. Um, so like, I don't know what to make of him yet. Uh, he's gotten some of these reps at rush end, and uh, we haven't seen him a lot of practice, just because we haven't seen a lot of live situations. So like, I'm curious on what their impression of him is and what they think they, they have with them. Obviously, they moved him from inside linebacker to rush end this year. And so I'm curious to kind of know what their what their evaluation is. Yeah, so for, for fans who aren't part of these post-practice media scrums, Alex Grinch is, is great to talk to. He gives uh, very thorough answers and, and very frank answers, but he gives very long answers, and we get very short windows to talk to him. And as happened last week, when I'll just say uh, people who aren't part of the normal everyday media crew come out and ask questions that aren't especially helpful to our understanding of the team, three questions went by with us learning nothing about anything. And then we had time for like two more quick ones before his time was up. So we definitely could use uh, some more questions to Alex Grinch, and that would be a fair one for sure. I'm going to save the Corey Foreman discussion for our next segment, so we'll just kind of shelve that. I think we can get more meat off that one. But, yeah, it's it's interesting. My last one. My last one is that this is a thing I I know. I think I know. I've, I've grown less confident in all of my takes as we've gone on here. Bobby Haskins and Cortland Ford are going to rotate at left tackle. I agree with that. Uh, I think... Lincoln's answer the other day basically kind of gave that away um, to where they feel confident in the other five guys um, or, or the other four guys who are obviously Voorhees, Nealon, Dietrich, Monheim. And I think they're still, just because Bobby kind of came in, he didn't come in late, but he didn't get cleared to practice until you know, later on. And even at the beginning of camp, he wasn't there completely yet. Now he is, uh, I think, they still want some time to evaluate that position. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if both of them ended up starting at some point down the road mm-hmm. at tackle if they, if they moved one of them. But I think right now they'll definitely be rotating. That was my, always my expectation was that Bobby would start at left tackle and Cortland at right tackle. But I talked to Cortland Ford, I think it was a week and a half ago, and he told me he was only getting left tackle reps in camp to that point. And I, I don't know what Bobby's been getting, but he's mostly been seen with – as a second-team left tackle. And I think what has happened is that Jonah Monheim has 
emerged as one of the, the most improved guys from last year. Based on what it looks like, he, he looks like he's physically advanced. Uh, and he's always been a guy that's generated praise from the coaching staff. I remember Clay McGuire said he was the smartest lineman he'd ever coached. So it's not a surprise that he would have, you know, learned from some of his growing pains last year in, in advance. But it seems like there's a lot of confidence in him. And then, uh, and yeah, Dietrich. In fact, that'll be our segue into our into our next uh, topic, which is surprises. And I, I'm, it's that offensive, that right side of the line has been a surprise for me. I, I thought for sure that they were going to view Ford and Haskins as their top tackles. I thought for sure that everyone had kind of felt that Monheim's best future value was moving inside. And while everybody loves Justin Dietrich teammates, coaches. He's one of the hardest workers from everything you hear. He's uh, he's a, you know, a little smaller and has just always kind of been passed over at, for, for a starting spot or an extended spot. And I just thought that was going to happen again. But it seems very much right now that he is going to get a full chance at right guard. Are you surprised by the way things have played out there? Uh, not really, only because... Uh, Haskins came in so late into the process. Yeah. Wasn't a full participant until uh, about a week in the camp. So I think that that was always going to be a hard time to kind of crack the starting lineup you know, with about three weeks of practice, basically. Um, so I think, you know, like I said, that'll, that'll continue to evolve. Well, on the topic of, of surprises, we covered a lot of them. There's a lot of overlap already talked about to this point, but anything else that we haven't covered surprised you this camp? Uh, let me think off the top of my head. Um, not really, I think. Uh, there's nothing surprising about tight end or anything. Uh, quarterbacks um, stayed how we all expected. Most of us, <laughs> most of us did. Uh, running back has been kind of normal. We don't know anything about the receivers yet, so that's kind of hard to say. I feel like if there's going to be a surprise, it might come out of there just because we don't know how the group how the rotation is going to unfold. So have someone like a trail by them or a current Ware Hudson or someone, you know, really stands out this year. And that would be a surprise just because we're so focused on Mario Williams, and Jordan Addison, but nothing off the top. We talked about Dijon Benton. Uh, we talked about the rest of the guys. So nothing really off the top of my head. Um, other than, you know, Sierra and those guys we talked about earlier. Yeah, and I don't have much else either, but it's really just the, it's the individuals who were kind of buried last year and who are now at least somewhat in the conversation. Like we talked about Deshaun Benton, you mentioned Sierra Wright. All that in there, Gino Quinones as a second-team offensive guard who, who seems to be in that clear second tier of depth there. Uh, Zamarian Gordon at safety, who Lincoln Riley named as one of his three most improved players uh, through camp, or the, the guys who got the most out of camp, who was a you know a freshman last year, so you didn't necessarily expect much, but he wasn't – I don't think we talked about him at all all year last year. And he was out there getting some first-team reps a couple of weeks ago when, when the depth was thin there at safety. Um, I don't know how much he's going to play. I, 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 did, I did aggressively get that question in Alex Grinch at the end of our session last week. As I, I just felt we had to ask at least one football question in that, in that time, and I just – kind of went with it and barreled through for the last one and about Samarian. And he, he did kind of indicate that, yeah, he's done some nice things, but he has to keep improving. He has to he has to get more consistent, more comfortable with this and that. So I, I got the sense that he's not quite ready to be a major contributor, but a guy that whose traje- trajectory is on the way up. Um, There's a guy like Mason Murphy who's a riser, but I don't know how much of a surprise that was. I, like the, the previous staff was very, very high. On Mason Murphy, and I think we were pretty high on Mason Murphy too, yep. um, higher than his recruiting ranking suggested. And I, I think that's that's not a surprise. I think that's an encouraging sign for USC's future. But um, I think people who are you know paying attention aren't really you know all too surprised by that. Well, let's close it down with our last category, which is lingering questions, and this is where we can get into a little more depth on a couple of things we've already touched on. Let's let's start with the wide receiver rotation, which you just mentioned. Uh, to me, it's the biggest unknown entering the first game, where we're just going to have no sense for 
the pecking order uh, beyond obviously the very top, the depth of the rotation. Uh, I, I know you were not a believer in the spring when Lincoln said that he was going to roll eight receivers through there. Anything we say right now is just purely a hypothesis or even a guess because there's just no way to know based on what we've seen or heard. What are your thoughts, though, on, on that picture? Yeah, it's hard to feel one way or another about some of these guys. You're like, well, they brought in Brennan Rice and Terrell Bynum, so these guys are going to have a role. And you're like, what's that mean for, for Kyron? Then you see the spring game and Kyron where Hudson's getting reverses and all these plays designed for him. And you're like, well, is he going to play? And uh, uh, you, you think about a guy like C.J. Williams, who's a talented freshman, and uh, you know, Terry Bryant. Uh, you, you would think he'd be the number three guy, but... I mean, we don't really know, and he missed some of camp, and then it seems like Lincoln's been, you know, giving some praise to Taj Washington too. So yeah. how does he how does he fill in? Um, so it's it's been a it's been a challenge to kind of see how the rotation unfolds, uh, just based off of what we've been able to see so far. And it's like I just feel like a, I don't I know nothing about that group other than the top two. Well, it also seems like you haven't been reading your media guide, Antonio, because it's now just Kyron Hudson. So, <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. But no, it's it's uh, exactly right. It could be uh, there could be twelve different variations of how that rotation looks, and I just would be guessing right now. But on the transfers, I think it's pretty clear that that this coaching staff does not feel beholden to anybody for any reason. And so, yeah, we recruit you to come in. We told you that there's an opening to play, but it's all about who earns it. And if you don't, then you may not play. Um, that goes for all, for all the transfers across the board. So I don't think that we can assume anything about Brendan Rice, even though he seems so intriguing with his size and, and attributes. Um, Terrell Bynum is in his last year, left a place where he probably had a – a more locked-in role at Washington to come here. I don't think there's anything guaranteed, but um, I had heard entering camp that he was he was probably in that top four. That that was that was weeks ago, so who knows? Taj Washington. I'm gonna have to admit that that I probably unfairly just kind of overlooked him and not wrote him off, but just thought that they brought in these guys for a reason that maybe they had recruited over him. And while he was the second leading receiver last year, I think, or leading receiver. Him and Gary were pretty close. I mean, behind Drake London, of course. He was always miscast. I don't think they ever used him right. We've talked about it on the podcast plenty. And I do think if they use him correctly to his skill set, which is not sending him 30 yards downfield for jump balls, it's use him in, in short space, let him... And stuff. Right. Let him get some separation and, and use his, his elusiveness and, and juke moves and everything else to uh, turn short receptions into longer gains. I think that Lincoln Riley, um, the uh, the offensive mastermind that he is, as is the uh, consensus term, has probably realized how to use him, whereas the previous staff didn't, and that there may be a role for him. But who knows? That is the most interesting group. Um. Other questions before we get to the, the last one, which will be Corey Foreman. The tight ends, the tight ends. It, it sure seems like in the wake of Jude Wolf's foot injury and surgery, which will keep him out for an indefinite amount of time, that Lake McCree has made a surge and may be the favorite at that H-back spot with Malcolm Epps obviously playing the other tight end spot. Is that your read on things? Yeah, just because Jude's hurt and uh, Ethan Ray was working on the scout team last week, so I think you know, it's pretty safe to assume that uh, Malcolm's going to be that big, that bigger slot, and Lake McCree will be that H-back type. Um, and I don't think Jude would have factored in a little bit, but um, he probably would have been factored in more to that H-back role, but I think uh, Lake finished the season strong last year, and he was hurt in spring. I think he's kind of picked up where he left off uh, last year, and I think follows healthy now. From you know, he's been back at practice, but I don't know how he'll how he'll fit into that group. He keeps getting mentioned, uh, which means he's he's at least on the on the radar. But it's really hard to read anything into or, or to, to predict anything for Josh Follow, given that I don't think he's played now in in two or three years. It's been a long time. 
Uh, Lake McCree's a guy that I've liked a lot. I thought what he did last year at the end of the season was really encouraging. I think he's a perfect fit for that H-back role. That is, if they're not going to take my advice and move Kyle Ford there, as I've suggested. But uh, that notwithstanding, uh, McCree's a guy who is willing to throw his body around, who has some pass-catching skills. He just plays with an edge. Uh, I like him a lot, and I think that's the right spot for him. So be very intriguing. But the, the bigger question is, how much do you think that that position, those positions, are even factored into the passing game when you have all the receivers we just mentioned? You have uh, guys like Travis Dye and Austin Jones who can catch out of the backfield. You have Relique Brown who's going to be doing something. Will we even see the tight ends catching passes? Uh, I think we'll see probably more four receiver sets Yeah. Uh, this year. I think they started going towards those a bit last year uh, with this group. But I just think uh, with the receiver options they have, who would you rather throw to? You know, Who's going to be more valuable as a pass catcher? Your number four receiver, your number one tight end, um, when you look at this personnel. So I think, uh, I think we're going to see a lot more four receiver sets and less – that traditional tight end stuff. Definitely. All right, let's do it. Let's have the Corey Foreman conversation. So everyone knows the backstory. You know, five star, top five national prospect, uh, depending on what ranking service you look at. I think number one, one of them, didn't play a whole lot last year. Did have a couple of sacks or one and a half sacks, whatever it ended up being. I think it's two and a half. Uh, oh, two and a half. Two and a half sacks. Sorry, and. Was, has been a storyline at all times because of his recruiting pedigree and the immense expectations, probably unfair as a freshman last year, that he has carried. And then he comes into USC's pre-camp team media day and just had a really great interview with us and just really seemed like a, a guy who was at peace with everything that's happened to this point that felt like he had grown from that experience, that felt like his body was in a better place this year, that just seemed renewed in all ways. And I came out of that interview um, ready ready to write my big Corey Foreman feature, which keeps getting shelved, um, and, and feeling pretty good about his outlook. And then we get out to the second practice, and he's not there. And he, it was some kind of prior commitment. And then then he's back, but he's not practicing for, for two weeks. He's, he's injured. And after being limited in the spring, following a dislocated knee, and now missing most of camp, he's clearly behind. And it's just hard to project what he might be this year. I'm going to think that he's a guy whose role grows as the season goes along. And I am still going to be a believer in his overall upside. But I don't know that I believe that he's going to have the true breakout season that maybe I once thought was possible. Yeah, I don't. Quite a bit on it right now. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't bet on him having that breakout season either. Just been too many disruptions uh, right now uh, with his health and uh, you know, this all the the practices he's missed. Um, he missed most of spring. He missed a good chunk of camp, and uh, it's just going to be valuable practice time that he needed. Remember, he did have a senior season of high school football. <laughs> and uh, so last year he was kind of thrown out of the fire. Um, and it, it was clear his body needed time to adjust to the college game um, after that year off. And this would have been a valuable time to build on that progress. And he hasn't had it. Um, so I think physically he's going to need that time to reacclimate as well. And um, this is, a, this is a, the second coaching staff he's worked with now to where – you know, they're still trying to figure it out. Um, Lincoln's been, Lincoln still praised him and his mindset and Corey Foreman's mindset a lot, which is probably the reason I haven't, you know, given up on like the stock on Corey yet. But, um, you know, you're still kind of waiting to see actual production there. Corey Foreman is the closest thing that USC football has to a, a tabloid a star where it seems like anything that's said about him just gets amplified, misconstrued, misconstrued amplified. And, and so whenever it was when he came back and we asked Alex Grinch, 
or, or before he came back, are, are you concerned about the time he's missing? And he goes, yeah, I'm concerned. I'm concerned about anybody who's not practicing. And he gave a very general stock answer. And then I, I see headlines on other sites going, Alex Grinch concerned about Corey Foreman. <laughs> and it's just everything is just uh, taken up ten notches with him. So I, I think the best thing to do is just, just wait and see and not draw any conclusions and hope that he, you know, at some point gets past the injury setbacks and has a true chance to see what he can do. And I don't think that anyone knows yet. And uh, that's where things stand there. But he's an important piece because, like we said earlier, they need depth at that rush in spot. And Romello Height has been dealing with something himself all camp. Uh, so it's not beyond the realm of uh, reality that he could be missing time himself during the season. You need someone else to step up there. So uh, Corey remains very important, just hard to project. Any closing thoughts, Antonio? Uh, not, not off the top of my head. I think it will be, uh, be a fun season. I think more fun than we've had covering this team in the past four years. Um, so uh, looking forward to that. I think uh, the conversation will be uh, around this team will probably be a bit healthier on your boards and uh, other boards and other and social media and stuff like that. You know, there'll still be some outlandish stuff being said, but I think uh, – I think the general tone will be more healthy uh, this year, and I'm just glad we made it through all this uh, NIL talk and all this realignment and uh, transfers and coaching hires, and now the games are finally here. The games are finally here, which brings us to the very last question. Antonio, based on what you've learned about this team, do you think that the Trojans can get past Mighty Rice on Saturday? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I think they'll... uh, I think they'll comfortably win that game, and uh, uh, you, can, you can start focusing on Sanford pretty soon. Is there a score prediction that you can throw out for us? Uh, 52 to 24. Okay. I'm pretty much in the same range, at 45 to 21. So we're both expecting uh, easy wins, which has not been a given for recent USC teams in these kind of openers. So if that happens, that alone will be a harbinger of better things to come. Yeah, one of the things I want to watch for on Saturday is, like, I feel like whenever we watch the Clay Helton teams, it's like this general malaise yeah. to, the way, to the way they played, where it'd be 16-14 to 14 in the third quarter against UNLV, a terrible UNLV team, or it'd be 13-7 to 7 against uh, San Jose State in the third quarter um, in the season opener, or um, a terrible Arizona team would take them down to the wire. There's general malaise that they've had, and I just want to see, you know, if that changes on Saturday, and like what's different, and the, the energy levels that they seemingly lack in the Helton era, and how that's different now. It's a great point, and I think one reason to think it could be different is because they did change over so much of the personnel, and I think that was important for that very reason. It's it's hard to shake habits. It's hard to change things that are have become set in and if they had returned the bulk of last year's team I think it would have been a much more of an uphill battle not even saying anything about any individual just what had been established collectively would, would have been harder to crack but there are so many new guys and new guys in prominent positions that I think it probably is a fresh start and I would be surprised if there are many remnants of the Helton era left on that field Saturday yeah so I'm just I'm curious to see you know the differences and what it looks like now because we haven't seen much during camp. So you know, I'm excited to see what, what everything looks like. Well, things we know, the listeners always appreciate your appearances on the podcast, Antonio, and we thank you for your time. Uh, no problem. Thanks for having me, man. And that's going to be the podcast for today. I hope you enjoyed that. We always get pretty good feedback when Antonio's on. I think that was a really good start to the season. Felt like we were in midseason form there a little bit. We'll see if the Trojans are on Saturday. Man, full coverage all week. So many things. You know, when you're in the grind of camp, I have all these ambitious projects and feature stories that I've been building towards, and I just kind of get so consumed by the day-to-day camp uh, coverage and everything that I have a bunch of stuff that I need to roll out this week uh, while it's still very useful and relevant and good. And that's what I'm going to do. So I will be cranking out stories all week long, feature stories, exclusive stories, daily coverage. We'll be at practice Tuesday and Wednesday when we have the availabilities. We talked to Lincoln Riley on Thursday morning over Zoom. That's the weekly routine. 
We'll, we will have all that for you. If you're not subscribed, thetrojansports.com. Join in. Join our weekly Guess the Score contest, which has become a popular game each year for our subscribers. We have some prizes for that. It gets very competitive. It's very self-explanatory. If you go to our Trojan Talk message board, the rules are there. We'd love to have you a part of it. We'd love to grow our crowd for that uh, Guess the Score challenge. There's so much excitement around the program. We're certainly reverberating that with our coverage and the depth of coverage, and we hope you will give us a look and join our site. Either way, keep checking out the podcast, which will be weekly now, and maybe some other ones strewn in you know, twice a week here and there, but definitely weekly. So we'll see you next week with a lot to talk about, hopefully very interesting stuff to talk about. Uh, until then, thank you very much.